Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. And I'm Pascal Emmanuel Gobry of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Yes. So welcome back to the show, Pascal. Thank you. Today, I don't know that we have a lot of uh, kids who listen to this policy-themed podcast. (laughs) However, if you're... If uh, so, big shout out. Right. Yes. But if you're... So if you're listening with your kids, uh, you know, draw in the car or whatever, today's episode may not be the best uh, for a family audience uh, because we brought Pascal on back to discuss his recent long article in American Greatness called uh, The Scientific Case for Ending the Porn Epidemic. I believe that's the exact title. So, And this is part of a larger discussion which has been happening online and in conservative venues about pornography as a public health problem and should pornography be banned, quote unquote, what does that even mean? So this is all stuff that we can get into. Uh, but perhaps, Pascal, you could give just kind of a, a brief synopsis. Uh, pornography, yep. of course, has been around for a long time. And, you know, since the 60s or whatever, most of the restrictions on it have, I mean, the, there are still legal restrictions on pornography. Some people don't realize that. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that's legally yeah. available for a while. So how is this a serious problem and what's new about this, if anything? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, you teed me up perfectly there. So the, the basic, uh, the basic thesis of the piece is that however we may feel about, you know, Playboy or, or lingerie magazines or whatever, um, the there's a mounting body of scientific evidence um, that the way porn actually exists today, meaning online, uh, one click away, streaming video, an infinity of material, has uh, is is different from what we've known in the past, and in particular that has serious neurological effects and that it essentially uh, works on our brains like a drug. It causes addiction. And then in turn, people who are addicted to porn experience a whole host of problems uh, related to to their sexuality, but also to their life overall, um, mental health problems. And so the, 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 the line that I didn't come up with it's anti-porn activists who use it is porn is the new smoking. And my addition is that what smoking does to your lungs, porn does to your brain. And similarly to what we went through with smoking, or my argument is that we're at that stage where the evidence is starting to pile up that this is much more serious and dangerous than, than we previously thought. And uh, the the evidence is not only mounting, but it's starting to to become really 
really hard to ignore. Let me put it that way. Um, I, I was going to say incontrovertible, and I believe that, but it's, it's still controversial among scientists. In, in the way that all science is and should be, I mean, you know, it's good that scientists' default position relative to any research is skepticism, but the evidence at this point looks overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. So uh, maybe let's go through some of the some of the evidence. Uh, we could speak broadly, but um, you know what? What are the? I mean, you talk about like uh, effects on the brain or uh, addictive model or whatnot. Um, yeah. I mean, what are we? What are we talking about, practically speaking? So um, the the impact on the brain is is fascinating. Um, imaging uh, studies since the the first big study started to come out in 2014. So again, this is new by the standards of science. Um, but they all the studies since then say pretty much the same thing, which is that porn works on our brain the way other uh, drugs work on the brain, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or something like that. Um, and uh, the reason for that is that because you can because you can binge porn, you're essentially keeping your levels of dopamine, which is an important neurotransmitter, artificially elevated for enough time that it starts to actually damage your brain and and, and cause these you know, behavior, neurological facts and behavior part patterns that scientists typically describe um, as addiction. Um, so that's that's the piece on the neurology. This is something we can literally watch happen in MRIs, which is that um, the, when you're a heavy porn user, your brain looks the same as if you're an alcoholic or a cocaine addict uh, in terms of the reward center and the mechanisms that cause addiction. Um, and there's even an argument that it's even easier to get addicted to porn because uh, the way addiction works is that it essentially it hijacks the reward center of the brain and causes us to causes the brain to think that whatever the chemical you're using is is essentially the same thing as sex and our reward center, which is one of the least evolved part of the brain. Uh, is programmed to have us seek out sex. Um, but because porn is a sexual stimulus to begin with, that process happens uh, much faster. Okay. And then, uh, so in the article, you talk about uh, a number of different ways that this is, that this plays out in terms of a rise in ED uh, impotence, yep. they used to call it. Um Particularly right. among, uh, particularly among y uh, young people, uh, right. uh, which is kind of disturbing because you know, uh, traditionally is you know you think about that for right. old people who need Viagra or whatever, um, right? Uh, and I don't know if you have anything that you want to elaborate on that. Um, well, I mean, the 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 ED stuff is is really earth shattering because as as far back as the you know the Kinsey report in the fifties. Um, chronic ED affects roughly less than 1% of men under 30 and off the top of my head, less than 3% of men uh, between 30 and 45. And now we're seeing numbers that are completely off the charts uh, with, you know, 15% of chronic ED among young men, 30%, depending on how you define it, 
uh, define what chronic means, uh, but the 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 rates are just off the chart. Like it's not a small correlation, like going from 1% to 15%, which as far as we know is unprecedented. And there is no other plausible uh, causal explanation that we know of. All of the, all of the correlates of uh, ED that we know of have either held steady or declined in the case of, of smoking or increased, but on trend as in the case of uh, obesity. Um, so it, so obesity can't explain it because the, the, the trend is just the same, even though the numbers of ED are shooting through the roof. So that's, that's really like a, a huge smoking gun and, and, and a huge tell that this is serious because as you're saying, like, you know, if a young man, a young, healthy male has either chronic ED or low libido, there is something wrong with his, his health, like almost by definition. Um, and then you have, obviously, like, this is the scientific problem in general. Like, the, the, the more you go into the social effects, the harder it is to prove a direct link of cause and effect. But there are dozens of studies that link uh, porn addiction to various, um, various mental health problems, um, ranging from depression to ADHD to um, all sorts of things. Um, an, another problem with porn is that the way any drug works is that you need more and more to get less and less of a hit. And the way this works in porn is that it doesn't just up the quantity. It's that what, what triggers this reward mechanism um, is shock. And so um, and I, I, t I spent some time talking about um, the rise of more and more extreme pornography, which used to be niche and is now extreme and popular, and pornography is getting more and more not extreme and also um, particularly degrading uh, and particularly degrading towards women. And, and another thing we see is that because we're talking about the, the region of the brain that defines what we crave, uh, contrary to the cliche that, you know, you can, you can watch, you know, it's like watching, you know, a Jason Bourne movie. You're not going to start punching people and shooting people just because you watched a Jason Bourne movie. It's a fantasy and everybody understands that, that it's a fantasy and you enjoy it and then you go on and live your life. Uh, but that's not the way porn works. Uh, at, at, as people go into these more and more extreme forms of porn, their sexual tastes change, but also their views of women change. Um, and so it, it's, again, it's having a real impact uh, on, on people's inner lives and thereby a rebound effect uh, on society. Before you move on, I kind of want to circle back to something just as a, just sort of a curiosity. Um, I, I sort of, you, you made the comment about uh, young men with erectile dysfunction. Um, why does society care if these young men who are addicted to pornography, if they have erectile dysfunction? Why is, why is that a concern of society at, a, society at large? I mean, it's a public health challenge. And I mean, you know, the, the, the human body is wired in such a way, you know, our reproduction is one of our most basic impulses. And so, you know, if if we found out that there was some chemical in the water that was causing unprecedented rates of ED, there would be no discussion 
at all that this is a public health crisis uh, and that something that has such a strong effect on normal s- sexual function is bound to have effects on on somebody's health more broadly. I mean, you know, imagine if drinking four loco <laughs> uh, gave fifteen percent of young men impotence. Like nobody, nobody would ask that question. But I, but I guess to a certain degree, I guess my my thought is. And maybe this is just me being naive, but if these men are potentially a threat to women, maybe maybe it's a good thing that they're losing some interest in sex. Well, I mean, it is it is true that one thing that's not disputed is that there, you know, what uh, a piece in the Atlantic called the sex recession, which is that young people are having less and less sex, and it and it does mean that some pathologies such as you know teen STDs. Uh, for example, are lower. And that's true. But at the same time, like, you know, if you have a society where large number of young males have this bug, let's call it, uh, that means that large numbers of them stop having an interest in sex and, and the ones that do start behaving in these weird ways uh, that are unprecedented. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's a concern. Yeah. So let me ask, let me ask kind of jumping off on that because just in terms of, you know, broader social trends that we are and aren't seeing, uh, you mentioned the so-called sex recession and the decline and, you know, STDs, teen pregnancy, those are all, those are all good things. Another thing that we have, that we have not seen is, a rise in, in violence, right? Um, and a decline yeah. in, in violence. Uh, so at least in that, and I, <clears throat> I don't know if you look at like, you know, specifically like polling on, you know, misogynistic attitudes or violence against women, you know, what, what the subset trends are there or not. So I, I can't speak to that. There has of course been a rather large and disturbing rise in, mental illness among the young you could say yep. right uh, in very you know um ptsd anxiety depression all sorts of things suicide suicide yes my understanding though is that that seems to be more concentrated among young girls than among young boys or at least it doesn't seem to be maybe the suicide is different i don't know but a lot of the stuff seems to be uh, not particularly concentrated among young men where you, I mean, if, if there was a connection, you would think that it would be more pronounced. I, I mean, I, I am taking as the assumption that uh, most uh, pornography is consumed by, by men, even though that's not for all yep. pornography. But so that there, and that, you know, the things that you're talking about in terms of sexual urge or whatever, it's, these, these are concentrated problems with men. So, right. I, I mean, right. um, Am I is my impression correct there? How does that link up with what you're saying? Some of these other. So, uh, so a couple of things. The the fact of this astonishing increase over the past, uh, let's call it ten years, of essentially every bad mental health indicator among young people, that fact is not in dispute. Uh, there is a lot of dispute about the causes, and you get into all these problems with social science, but. Um, one of the things, and so my argument, even though I can't prove it, but my argument is that porn addiction plays a, probably plays a huge role in that. 
And as far as I know, the mental health problems are among both sexes. Um, and the thing is, I mean, the rebound, and you're right that it's mostly men who consume porn, although uh, there is some increase in women's consumption and anecdotally in women's addiction. But the rebound effect on girls is real. I mean, let's be honest, it's A, it's not easy to be a teenage girl in the best of times. B, uh, teenage males in the best of times are not good people to be around. <laughs> and so, you know, when you have, you know, when you have men who uh, believe that extreme sex acts are okay, uh, are normal, and that's your dating pool. Um, if, you know, men who have these weird um, personality disturbances where, you know, either it's either it's a guy who wants to watch her extreme porn uh, with his girlfriend because that's the only way he can manage, he can have an erection or whether it's a dude who is really attracted to his girlfriend but can't have an erection with her even though he can when he watches porn. I mean, all that stuff has, has real rebound effects on women. And I mean, there's certainly a lot of very suggestive data on marriage uh, in, in, the, um, in a study that uses uh, a really large sample of couples over 10 years. Beginning porn use between subway waves is the strongest predictor of divorce and of mar marital unhappiness. And this is even when you control for other factors, which suggest that porn is the causal factor there. In, in other words, it's not just that couples become unhappy and as a result, the guy turns to porn, There's which almost certainly happens as well. But there's uh, very suggestive evidence of a causal factor, which goes the other way around. In other words, the guy gets into porn and becomes weird, and that causes marital unhappiness. To answer your question, I think there's a very strong case that there's a, a significant rebound effect on women. So let's talk a little bit about what, if anything, can or should be done about this. And just as an aside, you know, when I was in law school, I always thought it was very odd that, you know, if a man pays a woman to have sex with him, that's prostitution and that is illegal. But if a man brings in a camera and pays one person to have sex with another person and films it, that is considered pornography and that somehow is not. You know, when I asked my professor about this, his response was, yeah, I don't know. Right. That seems inconsistent. But so, I mean, that's that's kind of strange. But, you know, that's the world we live in where uh, regardless, you know, uh, people will talk about what the original meaning of the First Amendment is and so on and so forth. And I think that there are some real legitimate arguments to be had there. Maybe we can talk a little. We, I'm not averse to talking about it, but it's, it, it is the fact, though, that if you were to say, OK, we're going to put a bunch of restrictions on pornography or ban it or whatever, uh, that the first thing that would happen is that, you know, Pornhub or the ACLU or someone would go into court and say, hey, you can't do this for some image. So, you know, how, how how do you get around that? Right. Because that seems like a kind of I mean, maybe maybe this is a serious problem, but well, well you know, what can be done? So I would say a few things to that. Uh, first of all, I don't address policy in the piece, first of all, because it's already five million words long. And second of all, because establishing the facts of what is happening 
the fact that there's strong evidence that this is a this is addictive and b it has impacts on the brain and on mental health uh that the scientific evidence for this is very very strong just getting that fact out there and getting agreement on that fact um is 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 a start is would be moving the public debate already um and you know if we're having the question of is it that big a deal really or it you, you know or can we or should we regulate it you know that means that we're already agreeing on what's happening and 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 i would be overjoyed by that um that's that's the that's the first step and secondly i mean speaking you know, speaking for myself, uh, I would say a few things. So first of all, for 150 years, nobody ever thought that the First Amendment precluded regulating or banning obscenity. So that's that's one. Uh, I don't see a constitutional problem. Uh, <clears throat> I see a political problem. Uh, number two, one thing which is illegal today and which theoretically all of us agree on is that minors should not have access to the stuff, even though empirically we know that they do in astonishing numbers and earlier and earlier. So children under 10 represent uh, 22% of uh, the total viewing by uh, minors under 10. Um, and, and, and the average age of first exposure is nine. Uh, that's something that's illegal already today now. And, and, and that's something that at least publicly, nobody will argue that this is good. And, uh, but if we, you know, if we want to actually prevent kids from accessing that stuff, uh, that would mean that we would have to put essentially a paywall and that would destroy porn companies' business model. Would it though? I, so, I mean, this is the interesting thing. Uh, and I don't, I, I can't, claim to be a expert in the economics of online porn or whatever. But um, I mean, it's not like having to having pornography not be free uh, doesn't necessarily seem like that would uh, destroy the ability of the pornographers to make money, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Uh, um, but it it it, it would it, it's certainly something that would be strenuously opposed by the, the the biggest and strongest actors in the porn industry, which are the tube sites. Um, and and uh, the, the economics of the porn industry are really hard to disentangle because all of these uh, companies are private and based overseas, uh, and it's something that's really hard to measure. Um, but that's, I mean, that's sort of beside the point. But isn't there, isn't there a sort of a counter argument to that, that, uh, it's, it's this concept and I, and I forget exactly who came up with this term, but sort of the, uh, bootleggers and Baptists idea of, uh, if, if you actually impose these types of, you know, regulations, maybe paywalls, this would actually probably help certain companies like, let's just throw out the name Pornhub, they would that they might actually benefit because so many of the free sites would be illegal that doesn't mean they wouldn't pop, pop back up but it might actually in, in the case of a lot of regulation it's going to benefit the incumbent in some of these more established companies actually might benefit if you had more regulation and beside that if 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 pornography is half as addictive as you're saying it is 
these people are yeah. still going to access pornography. What would then be sort of the rationale for, uh, you know, limiting access to pornography? Uh, well, the rationale for limiting access to it is that it's a poison. Uh, <laughs> and that, uh, you know, if somebody was putting mercury in the water, we wouldn't have a, philosoph a philosophical debate about whether it's good to stop it or not. So that's that's number one. Number two, I mean, empirically, like, yeah, like, you know, uh, the regulations that were put on the tobacco industry uh, were actually good for the incumbents and 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 the biggest companies essentially got um, got a moat around their market share once, for example, advertising was severely curtailed because advertising is how the smallest guys the big brands would, who benefit less from advertising since they're already established brands. Uh, and that has made, you know, Philip Morris an excellent stock over the years. It's still a fact that, you know, I'll take that if it means that we have many fewer smokers, a lot fewer lung cancer and so on and so forth. Um, like, you know, not everything has to be a parable about crony capitalism. I, I really look at it from a public health perspective um and not a sort of market design perspective but uh, well fair enough but what then would be the uh what would be the policy prescription then if you're viewing this as a public health issue and a public policy issue what would what would be the approach would it be more of a uh, limitation of access or would you would you go so far as trying to delineate what is lawful beyond beyond as we've said talking about uh, uh, child pornography or coercion would you try to restrict um, what you might view as uh, hardcore pornography would you actually get into censorship or just simply try to restrict access Britain was on the verge of putting together a system which they then can't which they then uh, walked back um, because British conservatives aren't conservative, um, where essentially uh, there was a meter and you had to buy a prepaid card at like drugstores and stuff um, and use that to be able to log in to a, um, to a porn website. Uh, that, so that sounds like a good idea. Again, get it, the, the, the precise mechanisms of, of how this is addressed in policy is a discussion that I would love to have in a world where everybody agreed that this is a major health challenge and that some public policy response is warranted. And that, then we can then we can haggle over the price, uh, so to speak. Um, but I don't think I don't think we're there yet. No, I don't think we're there yet either. And I, you know, I guess that's why I was kind of curious what the ultimate. Because you 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 lay it, lay, make the case that it's a public health issue, and then you uh, you know you you basically sort of close talking about that we need some type of collective action, and so I was curious if you have had yeah. actually t thought about what that might look like. Yeah, and it seems to me that my sense of where we are politically that this is probably a particularly poor time to do it. We have a president who's married to a playmate, had an affair with a playmate, and has had an affair with a hardcore porn star. And so I would think that no ally of the president would back any regulation of pornography. And on the flip side, uh, Josiah brought up sex work. 
Uh, I think that if I understand Elizabeth Warren's position, she would not only legalize sex work, but she would probably want every sex worker to be uh, treated as an employee with a pension. So it doesn't seem like there's naturally much of a constituency for regulating pornography. But how would you how would you, I guess, move your position forward? So I, I, I agree that that's the conventional wisdom. I mean, let's put aside the president. I mean, this is a president whom everybody already knows about his personal foibles. And yet he has, you know, he's, he's done things, uh, you know, I mean, like, let's be honest, like President Trump probably doesn't give a crap about abortion one way or another, but he consistently appoints pro-life judges because he understands that to be good for him politically. If Eisenhower was a pack-a-day smoker, uh, it wouldn't have made the case against smoking more or less good or bad. Uh, I disagree that there isn't much of a constituency here because, and this is the argument I, ma- I make in the piece, which is that everybody knows that it's going on, but nobody talks about it. Um, and so I do believe that there is a silent majority in favor of this. Uh, there's some polling that suggests that. Um, and interestingly, it breaks down more on gender lines than on party lines. In other words, um, Democrat women support uh, banning porn more than Republican men do. Wonder why? This is a thing that people are seeing in their life. They're seeing it affect their relationships. They're seeing it affect their children. But there's a huge taboo around it. So I, I actually believe that it's, that it's a good political issue. Uh, well, I, so I had something that actually is own, not really the subject of your article. I know your article is specifically focused on the more hardcore pornography type of spectrum, but I did one. I did want to ask. I wondered about uh, a possibly related phenomenon, which has to do more with the the mainstreaming of what in a prior era, era might have been considered pornography. So, like you know explicit uh sex or whatever but that is you mean like game of thrones or something yes that's right i I mean i i uh, for example i was recently on an airplane going someplace as you do and they have you know movies that you can watch there and so i was watching this boring british period drama starring kira knightley and then, you know, I was so I was watching the movie and then right in the middle of the movie, there was a explicit sex scene, you know, nudity and everything. And of course, if you're on a plane, uh, you know, there, there are little kids around. There's other things. Uh, but j- even just beyond that, uh, it seems to be kind of like a, a standard feature now where if you have a prestige right. drama or if you want to be an actress, this sort of stuff is kind of par for the course. You mentioned Game of Thrones. There was a, you know, Amelia Clark, who was on that show, recently gave an interview about how uh, they would, you know, were pressuring her into doing explicit scenes and she would go off and yeah. like cry in the bathroom about it in between takes. And um, Ruth Wilson is another actress on a show called uh, The Affair, I believe, who like finally asked to be written out of the show because she was uncomfortable with the material. And I guess like the writers responded by saying, Oh, you, well, you want to be written out of the show. Well, you know, you're going to be like, your character is going to be brutally raped and murdered. And, and I I mean, I guess, I guess the question that I would have is, are are these two phenomena connected uh, in your mind? 
and you know um i mean i mean i guess like is there kind of a seepage uh where if the more extreme stuff gets more extreme then uh the not so extreme stuff becomes more mainstream and is that also is that also something where uh you know okay that's just a fact of life and it's not really something that is worth being concerned about or you know maybe you can have your personal opinions about but right um i mean i so I, 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 w- I would say uh, a few things about that. So number one, I'm not aware of any sort of like empirical study on that. So uh, this is just going to be me talking out of my behind. Uh, I mean, number two, like the, the sort of, I don't even want to say coarsening, but sort of like increasing, you know, sexualization in general, um, explicitness of uh, entertainment, um, you know, also violence uh, has been going on for, for a long time now. Um, and, and people can have their opinions about that. Um, uh, so I'm, I mean, it probably does have a, a, an effect um, at the margin, um, but I wouldn't say, oh, it's because of porn that you have so much uh, nudity and sex and, and violence in Game of Thrones, although it probably doesn't help. Um, and, and finally, I mean, just to, just to be quite clear, I'm not, um, I, I don't, I, I, I want to find a better phrase than I'm not a prude. Like, I, I don't want to get boobies off television or off the movie theater. Um, a, a, another uh, factor in what you're describing is that uh, the a lot of money in Hollywood is going to prestige television, which has different rules. So if you want to show a breast in a movie, it gets rated R, which uh, shrinks the market quite a bit. And so in motion pictures, there's some reluctance. Whereas, you know, if you're subscribing to HBO or Netflix or whatever, you're presumably, you're presumably an adult. And so there's no restriction on the addressable market of your show. If there's, um, explicit violence or sex. So, you know, you have lots of factors like that, but one thing that I want to make absolutely clear is that for me personally, I'm, I'm not in, I'm not, I don't want to regulate indecency in general. I want to regul, I want to regulate this new and, and hopefully eliminate this specific new form of pornography that has specific, um, public health uh, problems. And, and to go back to the, to the regulation question, um, because of this addictive mechanism, uh, where the fact that it's so easy to access and it's free and you can spend hours and people do just sort of flicking permanently between videos, which shoots up the, the dopamine levels, um, having some sort of barrier to that, um, as opposed to, all right, let's ban all porn, but just saying like, all right, you're going to have to pay, you know, whatever, five bucks to get on the website. And then there's going to be a meter. And the longer you stay, the, the price goes up exponentially or something, something, something along those lines that would uh, prevent binging and, 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 and raise the cost, not just financially, but in terms of how easy it is to access, to access, I think would, I mean, there's at least good reason to believe they would take care of uh, a huge chunk of the problem. And then we don't have to, 
uh, you know, had fantasies about, well, the Supreme Court is going to have to define what counts as pornography, you know, and that sort of stuff. Well, you know, and not to belabor this, but we had a conversation on this show recently about 3D printing and trying to regulate gun designs for 3D printing. And, and the one of the things we discussed was how difficult it would be to actually, even if you passed a law, the information's out there. And in this sense, the pornography's out there. And if if in the United States we started passing laws, anything resembling this, you uh, these these people would simply be downloading all of this material and it would be shared alternatively. And so I, I really question that from a technological standpoint, I mean, yes, it could certainly restrict um, access, but it, people are going to find ways to get around it. Yeah, I mean, uh, so to the technological point, uh, this this has been a talking point for decades, uh, but it's not actually true. Uh, I mean, you know, it depends on what you mean by people will find a way to get around it. Like some people will always find a way to get around anything you can name, right? Uh, the question is, can you meaningfully curb this? And, and, and you know, the, it's not a theoretical question. Like we know how to do this. Like, you know, um, and the problem is that it's, it's expensive for, for big tech companies. Like, so, you know, to take one example, in Germany, it's illegal to uh, put Nazi content online. Um, and so if you use the Internet in Germany and you want to find Nazi content, you can't find it. You just can't. Why? Because Germany passed a law saying to ISPs, to Google, to uh, the, these companies that sort of are the gatekeepers of the internet saying, if people can access Nazi content using your service, you're going to pay a huge fine. And lo and behold, what was technologically impossible just became routine and a normal part of life that poses no problem. And so, you know, are there no people who access neo-Nazi content on the internet in Germany? No, of course there are some. It's, it's actually technically quite feasible to uh, interdict content that you want. And we already do that with child pornography. Like, there are some people in the dark web uh, who trade child pornography. But if you're not a very dedicated person, you're not going to be able to find child pornography. Um, and if you do, you're going to live in, you know, in, in perpetual fear of the FBI uh, rightly so. And so, no, actually, <laughs> we, the, the, it, technologically, it's, it's feasible and enforceable. What's, what's missing is the political will. Our guest today has been uh, Pascal uh, Gobri. Uh, Pascal, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we ask that you would subscribe, leave favorable reviews, and tell your friends to tune in to the Urban Cowboys.